G'day and welcome to Is It Relevant Today? Right here on Faith FM. I'm Marius Jigau and on this show we're examining biblical concepts and ideas and asking ourselves the important question, is it relevant today? Or is it as outdated and ridiculous as allowing Victorians interstate? On the east coast of Canada, in Newfoundland, lies a small fishing village. Now many of the men in this village would work on ships out at sea fishing. And one afternoon, a huge storm arose. Now, this was unlike other storms that they had seen before. And many of the women were really concerned about their husbands coming home. So they went to the beach and were praying for their husband's safe return. However, as night fell, not one of the ships had returned back into port. So the women continued pacing up and down on the beach and praying and interceding for their husbands. To add insult to injury, one of their cottages caught on fire, and because most of the men were out at sea and many of the women were walking up and down on the beach praying, they were unable to put it out before it burnt to the ground. However, they continued praying, and one by one, the ships started pulling into the port. And before the day broke, every single one of the ships had made it safely home. Now, you can imagine the celebration. Everyone was ecstatic. Yes, their husbands had returned home. Everyone was happy. Well, except one lady. She came to her husband and said, I'm sorry, we just couldn't put out the fire. Our cottage was burnt down to the ground. To which her husband replied, Thank God for that fire. It was the light of our burning cottage that safely guided the whole fleet into port. Now the Bible tells us in Romans 8.28 that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His promise. Now in my opinion, there's no better story in the Bible to illustrate this point than the story of Joseph. We discovered in our last show that Joseph didn't grow up under the ideal circumstances. In fact, his father was an opportunistic, manipulative liar. His mother was also a manipulative liar, a thief, and an idolater. His dad was married to two women and had two more concubines. Two of his brothers that we know of were adulterers, and one of them committed adultery with one of his father's concubines. Two of his brothers were bloodthirsty murderers, and he lost his mum when he was but a young boy. Also, the favour that his dad showed him caused his brothers to absolutely hate him. In fact, when he described some of his dreams to them, they hated him even more. In Genesis chapter 37, we are told three times that his brothers hated him. And it's no surprise that when the opportunity presented itself, they decided to get rid of him, and they ended up selling him into slavery. Now, in our last show, we left Joseph in prison in Egypt. But I'd just like us to backtrack a little bit. As Joseph was taken to Egypt, Egypt was at its prime. In fact, it was the capital of the world. Many of the pyramids which are still standing today had already been built. In fact, the tallest of these pyramids stood at 147 meters tall. It was covered with a polished white limestone and the top of it 
was covered with silver and gold. Even today, it's still not understood how this magnificent structure was able to be built. It consisted of around two and a half million blocks. Now, each one of these blocks weighed around two and a half tons. I'm someone who really loves maths, and given that this pyramid took about twenty years to complete, I worked out that if they were working on it three hundred and sixty-five days a year for twelve hours a day, they would have needed to lay one of these two and a half ton blocks every two minutes continuously for a period of twenty years. Furthermore. Around halfway up the structure, inside the king's chamber, you find blocks that weighed somewhere between fifty and eighty tons. It's still not understood today how they were able to move these blocks into place. In fact, many people, when they think about history, they think that people were primitive back then. But the Bible tells us that God created us perfect. In fact, we didn't evolve upwards; we devolved from the perfect way that He created us. And it's no surprise that the Egyptians four thousand years ago were able to move stones in a way that we still don't understand. This is the place where Joseph was sold into slavery. Now, stay with us after this song, and we'll explore his adventures and how they are relevant to us today. Savior say that strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray, and find in me not all in all. Jesus paid it all, and all to Him I owe. Sin.
Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today? You're listening to Marius Jigel and we've been looking at the story of Joseph and he has just arrived in Egypt. And when he came there, he was sold as a slave. Now I like Genesis chapter 39 verse 1 and 2 which says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And I really love what the next line says. It reads, And the Lord was with Joseph. Now many people ask, where was the Lord when his brothers hated him? Where was the Lord when his brothers cast him into the pit? Where was the Lord when he was sold into slavery? Here we find out that the Lord was with him. Jehovah was with him. And in Potiphar's house, He absolutely flourished. However, he caught the attention of Potiphar's wife. Now, we're not told in the Bible what her name was, though Jewish and Islamic tradition hold that her name was Zuleika, which means brilliant beauty. Many scholars believe that she was what some refer to as a trophy wife because of Potiphar's exalted position. And she was the one who tried to seduce Joseph. But Joseph, as we know, he refused. Now, I've heard some scholars who try to excuse what Potiphar's wife did. And the way they do this is they look at one of the words in Genesis chapter 39 verse 1, which says that Potiphar was an officer of Pharaoh. The word they focus on is the word officer. The Hebrew word that's translated as officer is quite often translated as eunuch, and many argue that Potiphar was himself a eunuch. However, the word doesn't always mean eunuch. It can sometimes mean a symbolic eunuch and not an actual eunuch. Nevertheless, his wife tried to seduce Joseph day after day after day, but Joseph refused, and this ended up having him thrown into prison. We find another interesting verse towards the end of Genesis chapter 39. In verse 23 it reads, The keeper of the prison didn't look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. And I started wondering, how long did it take for Joseph to reach the position where the keeper of the prison trusted him without a doubt? Now if we have a look, we find that inspired writings tell us that he served for 10 years in Potiphar's house. Now, He was sold when he was 17, so this would have made him 27 when he was thrown into prison, and we know that he interpreted the dream of the baker and the butler, and afterwards he remained in prison for another two full years, is what the Bible tells us. So, he would have advanced to the position where the prison guard trusted him implicitly in around one year or less. When I had a look at this, I realized that back in his home, His father trusted him implicitly. In fact, he was overseer of his brothers. And you may think, yeah, that's right, but that's just because his father favored him. However, when he was sold as a slave, Potiphar looked at him and said, you know what? Why don't you look after all of my stuff? And then he gets thrown into prison. And within a year, the prison guard says, hmm, why don't you look after all of my stuff? And then he meets Pharaoh. And a short while after, Pharaoh looks at him and says, Why don't you look after 
all of my stuff. There's something about Joseph. He rises like cream to the top wherever he goes. The people just trust him when they see him. Now, how is he capable to do this? The answer to this is found in the next part of verse 23, which says, The Lord was with him. The reason that Joseph excelled in everything he did was because Jehovah was with him and because he was faithful to God and God was faithful to him. Now, I was surprised to find out that the story of Joseph takes up about 25% of the real estate in the book of Genesis. So 25% of the book of Genesis deals with the story of Joseph. Now, When you think about the book of Genesis, it spans over a period of a little over 2,000 years. And it's interesting that one story takes up so much space. In fact, the first period, which was a little over 1,600 years until the flood, only nine chapters are dedicated to this entire 1,600-year period. And then another huge chunk is dedicated to Abraham and 25% to the story of Joseph. And I realize that the reason for this is because Joseph was a type of Christ. We find in the book of John, chapter 5, verse 39, that it says that Jesus was speaking to the Jews and he says to them, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. The scriptures testified about Jesus Christ. That's what the Old Testament and the New Testament does. It's no surprise that when we find types of Christ, they take up huge chunks of the Old Testament, such as Abraham and Joseph and David. Now, Joseph was a type of Christ. And if you spend a little time looking at the story, you'll easily find over 100 ways that Joseph typifies Christ. And we're going to have a look at a few of those today, just after this song. The Nazarene had come to live the life of every man, and he felt the fascination of the stars. And as he wandered through this weary world, he wondered and he wept. For there were so few to listen to his call. He came, he saw, he surrendered all, so that we might be born again. And the fact of his humanity was there for all to see, for he was unlike any other man, and yet so much like me. of his heart And those who hardly knew him And those who knew him well Could feel the contradiction from the start He came, he saw, he surrendered all So that we might be born again 
Christianity was there for all to see, for he was unlike any other man, and yet so much like me. He came, he saw, he surrendered all, so that we might be born again. And the fact of his humanity was there for all to see, for he was unlike any other man, and yet so much like me. Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today, right here on Faith FM. You're listening to Marius Jigel, and today we've discovered that the story of Joseph takes up one quarter of the book of Genesis. And the reason for this is that the scriptures point forward to Christ, and Joseph was a type of Christ. Now here are a handful of examples of how Joseph typifies Christ. He was a shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Joseph was opposed to evil and Jesus was also opposed to evil. Joseph was loved by his father. You know what? I think I know someone else who was loved by his father. Joseph was hated by his brothers. Now, his brothers, I believe, typify the world. And Jesus was also hated by many of those around him. Joseph was sent by his father to his brothers. I know someone else who was sent by his father to help those in this world. His brothers conspired against him. The people of this world conspired against Jesus. Joseph's brothers cast him into the pit. This world cast Jesus into the grave. Joseph came out of the pit and Jesus came out of the grave. Judah was the one who sold Joseph into slavery. Now, if you translate Judah into Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, it translates to Judas. Judas sold Jesus into slavery. Joseph was sold for the price of a slave, and Jesus was also sold for the price of a slave. And I know what some people say. They say, well, wasn't Joseph sold for 20 pieces of silver? And Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Well, you've got to consider that over a period of 2,000 years, some inflation happened. I wish inflation progressed at that speed today. He was still sold for the price of a slave. Joseph became a servant and Jesus became a servant. Now, when Joseph was accused of rape, he didn't defend himself. We find no verses where Joseph stands up for himself. In fact, in that situation, being a slave... He would have had little freedom to be able to defend himself. Jesus didn't defend himself when he was accused. Joseph was cast into prison even though he was innocent. Jesus was cast onto the cross even though he was innocent. Joseph won the respect of the prison guard and Jesus won the respect of the Roman centurion who was involved in his crucifixion. There are many typologies between Joseph and Jesus that you can find in the book of Genesis. Jesus chose to forgive those who treated him so badly. Now, what did Joseph do when his brothers came? Well, many quickly jump and say that Joseph forgave them. 
And while this is true, Joseph did forgive his brothers. In fact, Joseph had forgiven his brothers before they had come to Egypt. While Joseph had forgiven them, Joseph wanted to see evidence of repentance before he allowed them to come into his kingdom. Now you may ask, Marius, how do you know that Joseph had forgiven his brothers? Well, I want you to think about the nature of forgiveness and what happens when one doesn't forgive. If Joseph hadn't forgiven his brothers, he would have harbored this grudge against them for 13 years. Now, I know from experience before I gave my life to Christ, when I was holding on to grudges and unwilling to forgive certain people, that when you don't forgive, you just get more and more bitter. And you think, ah, when I get the opportunity, I'm going to show them. If Joseph would have harbored these sentiments while he was a slave, he would have been thinking, ah, my brothers put me here. I'm going to get them when I have the opportunity. And then he's thrown into prison. And if he continued thinking like this, well, you can be certain that when he was made prime minister of Egypt, he would have used this opportunity to get revenge on his brothers. But that's not what he did. When his brothers finally came to Egypt, I believe that Joseph was expecting them. I'm certain that when the famine began, Joseph would have sent people out to see just how far this famine has extended. So he knows how many people will come to him for food. They probably would have set a limit. You know, we'll give people food up to this distance away from Egypt. If they're any further, well, then they can try travel in the opposite direction to get food. And when Jacob heard that there was food in Egypt... I'm actually of the opinion that it's quite probable that Joseph played a part in making sure that Jacob knew there was food there. Joseph would have likely known exactly where his father was, and I wouldn't be surprised if he would have sent someone in that general direction to tell people that there is food in Egypt. And when his brothers came, Joseph, who I believe had already forgiven them, He wanted to see evidence of repentance before he accepted them into the kingdom. So he put them to the test. He sent them back home and said, you need to bring Benjamin here. He wanted to see if they would treat Benjamin in the same way that they had treated him. He wanted to know if they hated Benjamin the way they used to hate him. And I can just imagine when they got home, Jacob would have thought, what is happening? I've already lost one son. Now I've lost Simeon as well. And you want to take Benjamin from me also? No way. I'm not going to let him go with you. And you can see that Reuben comes up to him and he says, If he doesn't come back, you can kill two of my sons. And I can just imagine Jacob's response. He would have been like, Really, Reuben? So you mean that if Benjamin doesn't come back, I can kill two of your sons? I mean, I don't like them much anyway, right? So, if he doesn't come back, I can take comfort in killing two of your sons, in killing two of my grandsons. Have you lost your mind? Do you, like, even think before you open your mouth and speak? Inspired writings tell us that his brothers no longer said anything further on the topic. They just waited. I mean, you couldn't miss the elephant in the room, which was that they will eventually run out of food and have to go back to Egypt. And as food was running low, Jacob said, Go back and get more food. And Judah replied, We need to take Benjamin with us. 
And seeing that his father is close to capitulating, Judah said something much more reasonable than what his brother Reuben had said. He said, I will take responsibility. Let the blame fall on me if I don't bring Benjamin back. And his father allowed him to go. And you can imagine as they're traveling towards Egypt, they're really stressed because it appears that they've been set up. The silver was in their bags from the previous time and things just didn't add up. And they would have been asking themselves, do you think they're going to accuse us of theft? Do you think he's going to enslave us all? And when they got there, they were invited to Joseph's house and they spoke to the person who was there and said, hey, um, you know, this silver, we didn't take it. You see, we bought it back. Plus more to buy food for this time. And the guy was like, hey, chill, you know. I was the guy in charge of the silver. God is blessing you. And they would have been like, oh, praise God. It didn't go quite as bad as we expected. So he seats them at the table in order of birth. And you can see them looking around one another thinking, wow, this guy has done his research. Is there a spy in our camp? How does he know these things? And everything seems to go well. He sends them back with plenty of food and they're like, yes, we have Simeon, we have Benjamin, we have heaps of food. Let's go home. However, on the way home, they encountered a little problem, which we'll explore just after this song. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever
Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today? You're listening to Marius Jigau and today we're exploring the story of Joseph. His brothers had just taken the food and were on their way out of Egypt when the guard follows them and accuses them of stealing Joseph's cup. Well, they didn't call him Joseph. They would have called him Zaphonaf Paniah. And they were like, no, why would we do such a thing? And as they searched the bags, they found it in Benjamin's bag. So they all came back to Egypt. And I can just imagine that as they're traveling into Egypt, the place where they had sold Joseph, they would have been thinking about the fact that they had sold him there. And they were probably thinking that God is judging us for the wickedness that we have done before. And they came before Joseph. And what can they really say? I mean, the evidence is clearly showing the cup was in his bag. And then Judah does something amazing. He says, look, there's no excuse. What can we say? We're going to be your servants. But Joseph says, no, 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 I'm a just man. Just leave the guilty party here. Just leave Benjamin here. He will be my servant. To which Judah asks permission to speak again and he says, Please take me instead. And I can just imagine that Joseph's eyes would have began welling up. And then he revealed to them, I am Joseph. Now, I really hope that there was some angel there with a camcorder because when I go to heaven, I really want to see this scene. I want to see the look on their faces as Joseph reveals this to them. They would have been picking up their jaw off the floor. And I can just imagine that Benjamin would have been like, What do you mean you're Joseph? I thought that Joseph was dead. And Joseph would have been like, Yeah, Judah, why don't you tell Benjamin? Why aren't I dead? And Joseph came to them and offered them forgiveness and he hugged them and told them, go bring dad and come here. And I can imagine that as they would have traveled back home, they would have been really stressed now as they would have to confess to their dad what they did. And I'm sure he would have been really angry at them at first, but the joy of the fact that Joseph was still alive would have overridden any anger, plus the fact that he had seen in their son's life evidence that they had repented. I wanted us to have a look at the way that Jacob was, what kind of a father he was. At the beginning of our presentation, we noted that he was an opportunistic, manipulative liar. However, this was just the way that his life began. He continued seeking God throughout his whole life. And in fact, if you have a look at the temperament of his sons, the first few had serious problems and as he got older and knew God even better, his sons were better and better. I imagine that through his life, Jacob would have been praying and I wouldn't be surprised if it would have been as an answer to Jacob's prayers that Joseph was sent into Egypt. I can just imagine him praying, Lord, please do whatever it takes to save my sons. And I know because I've made some of these prayers before. God may have answered this prayer, but not the way he hoped. I'm sure that throughout eternity, he would realize that the suffering he went through is minuscule in comparison to the reward that he will have. Jacob ended up being a godly father to his children. Now, 
the importance of a father in a child's life cannot be overstated. In fact, if we have a look at some statistics, you'll find that, unsurprisingly, families with fathers that are not present are four times more likely to experience poverty. Seven out of ten high school dropouts are from fatherless families. Boys from fatherless families are significantly more likely to act up as children and girls from fatherless homes are twice as likely to be obese. There are even physiological changes. Boys from fatherless homes mature later. In fact, their voice breaks on average later than those from homes where a father is present. Girls are four times as likely to become pregnant during their teens if they don't have a father present and as a whole, people are five times more likely to go to jail if they were brought up in a house without a father. A father is so meaningful to one's life, but even more meaningful is a godly father. I thank God for my father and the way he raised me. He has taught me many important things, including how to be kind and generous. And I imagine that Jacob did his best to steer his children towards God. Even though he got off to a bad start, he continued and steered them in a godly direction. Now, we may have some single mothers listening. And you may be wondering, well, what can I do? I'm already in this situation and the statistics look stacked up really against me. What you can do is to be the exception. Reach out to God and say, Lord, the father is gone. I want you to be a father to my children in an extra special way. Lord, make up for what is missing. Now, my wife comes from a family where in her childhood she didn't have a father present for a period of 12 years. Now, the way that her mother raised her, the way that her sisters have grown up, is a testament to the way the mother grew them up and trusted God. Every one of them is still in the church. This is an amazing testimony to the faithfulness of her mother. So if you're a single mother, be the exception. Now you may be a father and say, well, I've got off to a really bad start. I want to be a good father to my children, but I've got off to a really bad start. Then have a look at the story of Jacob. Jacob got off to a horrible start in the way he raised his children, but he continued his trust in God. He continued interceding to God on his children's behalf. And if we have a look at the end of his life, Ellen White writes for us that he saw in his sons evidence of true repentance. He saw his family surrounded by all the conditions needful for the development of a great nation, and his faith grasped the sure promise of the future establishment in Canaan. He himself was surrounded with every token of love and favor that the Prime Minister of Egypt could bestow, and happy in the society of his long-lost son, He passed down gently and peacefully to the grave. Jacob is an example that shows us that even if you get off to a bad start, you can still turn it around and bring your family back to God. In fact, if we have a look at Jacob's family, it kind of appeared that his house was on fire for much of his life. However, 
We're told that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His promise. So how does all this fit in with our life today? We'll find out just after this song. Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today, right here on Faith FM. I'm Marius Jigau, and today we've been looking at the story of Joseph in the light of the verse in Romans 8.28, which states that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to the promise. Some people misinterpret this verse, and they think that it kind of ends after the all things work together for good. Now, while this verse is an amazing promise, It has another part to it. It has a warning. We are told that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are the called according to His promise. Now you may ask, who are the called according to His promise, Marius? Do we believe that some are predestined to be destroyed and some are predestined to go to heaven? No, that's not at all what we believe. We are all the called according to His promise. You see, we are told that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. However, some choose not to come to repentance. Some choose not to accept the call that God has placed on their hearts. And others choose to delude themselves by thinking that they have accepted this call, while in fact their life shows that they haven't accepted this call at all. 
I wanted to ask you to do something unusual today. I want to ask you to think about the most horrible thing that's happened in your life. Now, it may be more than one. Think about it. I wanted to ask you, what will be the point of the suffering that you've experienced in your life? You see, for some, the suffering in our lives will work together for good. And we will share eternity with God, but it won't be like this for everyone. Others will have suffered in vain. The pain they've gone through, the deaths that they may have suffered, the children that they could have lost, will all be meaningless for them in the scope of eternity. In fact, it won't be meaningless for everyone. Because even those who choose not to accept God, even they will serve as a witness throughout eternity of what happens when we choose to go our own way. So even the suffering will serve a purpose for those who are in heaven. But for those who are lost, that suffering will be ultimately meaningless. There will ultimately be two kinds of people. One is those whose suffering has been turned around and used to bring about good for them, whether it's in this life or the next. And there will be those whose suffering will ultimately just serve as a memorial throughout eternity, and for them will be meaningless. I want to ask you today, which one of those are you? I want to invite you to search your life and ask yourself, am I accepting the call that God has put in my heart? Does my life testify to the fact that I'm accepting this call? Will your suffering ultimately have a purpose? And if the answer to this question is, no, I'm not heading in a direction towards heaven, to make the decision today to turn around. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our dads. We thank you for the way that you have set up the family, that we may be led to you. We thank you for the influence of fathers in our life. And Lord, we thank you that we are the called according to your purpose. We pray that you give us the strength to accept this call as we know that you are coming very soon. Please help us to be prepared. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you for listening today and don't forget to visit our YouTube channel called Is It Relevant Today? where we have video presentations on many topics including the one we've just been talking about today called Joseph Learned From His Father which was the second part to the presentation called Joseph's Excuse. We look forward to seeing you next week. I'm Marius Jigau. God bless and I hope you have a magnificent day. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold I'd rather Riches untold I'd rather have Jesus Than houses or lands I'd rather be led By His nail-pierced hand Than to be the king Of a vast domain And be
This world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to
You've been listening to Is It Relevant Today? If you have any questions or comments, please leave them on our Facebook page, Is It Relevant Today? But for now, thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next week. I love to tell the story Twill be my theme in glory To tell the old, old story Of Jesus and His love